0: Jesus the Game Changer series. Uh, It's going to be a really great series together. And as Anne was doing communion, I was thinking, actually, it's a great introduction to this series for us to have had communion together. Because as we look at what Jesus is asking us to do, it's a good reminder when we have communion of all that he has done for us. So thank you, Ian. That was a a wonderful introduction to our series. So in this series, we're going to explore the heroic stories of Jesus' followers who went out and risked everything to take the game-changing news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And what we need to know now is that that assignment has been handed on to us, that we need to make Jesus' last words our first priority. So this series will help us as a church to look at some of the key aspects of what it means to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and how we need to stand as God's people in the face of opposition from our culture. And as we are well aware, that opposition is becoming more and more. We're going to show this by going through the movement of the gospel from the backwaters of the Roman Empire to the ends of the earth as Jesus' followers have stepped out in faith even when it meant persecution and suffering. So let's start this journey together as we pray. Father God, we ask for our ears to hear, our hearts and souls to respond to you, as you lead us as your church and as individuals. We don't want to miss out on anything you have for us through this series, and so we ask your Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us as we hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now there's no doubt that people's last words can be very significant. Some can even be amusing. James French said to a newspaper reporter before he went to the electric chair, How's this for your headline? French fries. <laughs> Do you get it? French, French? Okay. Last words can also be heartbreaking. These are the last words of Thomas Paine, an atheistic writer and author of The Age of Reason, which is um, a book that argued against institutionalised religion in general, but Christian doctrine in particular. And these were his last words. Stay with me for God's sake. I cannot bear to be left alone. O Lord, help me. Oh God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I would give worlds if I had them, that the age of reason had never been published. O oh Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave me. Stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me. For I am on the edge of hell, here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one Last words can also show the joy of a person's faith. DL Moody, the famous American evangelist and writer, said this on his deathbed. Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. And Moody's son said to him, no, no, father, you're dreaming. And Moody replied, I am not dreaming. I have been within the gates. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. Beautiful words. So have you ever wondered or focused on what Jesus' last words were? Well, we find them in Acts 1.8 when Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, obviously, those words were very significant because they were the last words that Jesus left with us. So what can we discover about these last words of Jesus as we look at them before his ascension to the Father. First of all, Jesus' final words are more than just a command or a commissioning, which I think is often what we think of them as being. Jesus tells his apostles that they're to go and to give testimony to what they have seen and heard But he also gives them two crucial components about this testimony. Firstly, Jesus declares that his disciples will be his witnesses. In his book, Simply Good News, N.T. Wright points out, many people today assume that Christianity is one or more of these things, a religion, a moral system, a philosophy. In other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice. But it wasn't and it isn't. Christianity is simply good news. It is the news that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. The reality of Jesus' kingship is good news. It's the announcement of an event that actually took place, an event that has eternal consequences for all of creation. So Christianity isn't a 12-step program or a self-help blog. It's the announcement of a new reality. Let's have a think of witnesses in a court of law. Now, we understand that they are eyewitnesses giving testimony to what they've seen and heard. Witnesses in court are not people with good advice or a theory about something. Witnesses bring a personal encounter. And Jesus tells those who were eating with him at the opening chapter of Acts that they Two are to share their story. He doesn't instruct them to give people good advice. He instructs them to be his witnesses, to tell others what they have seen, what they have heard and experienced of him. The gospel, the good news, is an event. And the overarching question and the big idea of the Gospel of Mark is, who is Jesus? Throughout the entire account, people are asking. They're watching and they're listening and saying, who is this man? Is he a prophet, a teacher, a healer? Well, Mark tells us at the very outset who Jesus is when he says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God and this is the good news. I like the way John describes the event of God, the creator of the universe, coming to earth as a man and beginning a new thing. The message puts it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The second component of Jesus' last words is the empowerment that these disciples were promised. Now, the early followers of Jesus weren't a particularly impressive bunch. And I don't know about you, but that always gives me confidence. In fact, Peter and John were described as uneducated and ordinary men. But you don't need to be particularly educated or exceptional to tell others what you have seen and experienced, what you have heard, what you know to be true. And we do that all every day in all sorts of things, telling people what we've heard, what we've experienced, what we've seen, and you only have to go on social media to see the very exciting experiences of people, what they had for breakfast, what they had for lunch and dinner, to see what they're wearing and their different hairstyles, etc., etc. But there was another reality for the ordinary people, given the extraordinary mission of witnessing about Jesus. And that is, they weren't alone. Jesus gives the promise of the Holy Spirit when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Before they're sent on mission, they are equipped for the journey, just like we are. Commentator Alexander McLaren says, These 11 poor men were not left by their master with a hard task and no help. He bade them wait for the promised Holy Spirit, the coming of whom they had heard from him when in the upper room, when he spoke to them of the comforter. The order in which promise and command occur here shows how graciously Jesus considered the apostles' weakness. Not a word does he say of their task of witnessing till he has filled their hearts with the promise of the Spirit. He shows them the armour of power in which they are to be clothed before he points them to the battlefield. From here we see the gospel go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and eventually to the heart of the empire and gateway to Rome, the ends of the earth. But if you really think about it, Jesus' last words also define who the hero is in the book of Acts. And it isn't, in fact, the apostles, but the Holy Spirit. The story of Acts is how the Holy Spirit gives power and transformation to these apostles and how it propels them to the ends of the earth with the good news of Jesus. And this good news wasn't just for the Jews, but for the whole earth. This is why Jesus says in his last words, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Throughout scripture, we read this recurring theme that God's people exist for the renewal and blessing of the whole world. When God calls Abraham in Genesis, he says that his family will bless the whole world. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And here is the picture that we see at the other bookend of the Bible. In Revelation 7, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Listen to this, from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Jesus instructs his disciples to go to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 2, we see 3,000 come to faith because they heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. In Acts 10, we read the story of Cornelius, the Gentile. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. That the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And yet, as I've underlined, even after all the promises and prophecies, that God's blessing would go out to the ends of the earth, we see in verse 45 that the Jews are still surprised and astonished when it actually happens. And we can look at that and say, well, what's wrong with them? Like, they were told it was for the ends of the earth. But maybe i just speak for myself here. But... Don't you sometimes look at certain people and think, well, surely it's not for them. Surely God's good news and salvation couldn't be for them. For whatever reason. Don't we do it too? The evidence of the gift of the Holy Spirit in these Gentiles shows God accomplishing his mission. And they realise that they need to get on board and keep preaching the gospel wider and wider. So what was this gospel message that Jesus came proclaiming and that the disciples were witnessing to in Acts? Mark summarises Jesus' message as this. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus invited people to embrace this new reality through repentance and belief. Dallas Willard says that repentance isn't beating your head on the floor or feeling bad about your sins. It's to rethink your thinking so as to change the way you've been thinking and acting. We repent or change the way we've been thinking and acting in light of the good news. And for those who did change their thinking, this event of Jesus changed everything. The stories in the book of Acts about Jesus' early followers witness to the impact of this event of Jesus on their community. They gathered regularly to pray and worship and learn. They sold their possessions and had everything in common. They shared with those in need and welcomed strangers. They practised forgiveness and approached leadership, conflict and other social duties differently. And we need to understand these changes was in total contrast to the predominant reality of that time. Women in that time were treated as second-class citizens. Babies were slaughtered. People focused solely on their own households. Those who were sick or disabled were outcast. This was the reality of that time. But this good news of Jesus Christ caused these early believers to rethink the way they thought about life. Jesus changed the way they thought about reality, which in turn changed the way they lived. According to the Roy Morgan social researchers, the predominant reality in Australia is that 46% of Australians have concerns about the environment and list it as the biggest problem facing our world. 21% mention their struggle with economic factors like the poverty gap, unemployment, cost of living, etc. And 11% mention concerns related to social issues such as family breakdown and morality, ...as the biggest issue facing Australia. And so for us, as the witnesses of Jesus... ...how does the good news of Jesus... ...create the opportunity for an alternative reality? How could a group of Christians like us... ...demonstrate and announce this new reality... And change the communities in which we live. Well, the good news that Jesus is Lord ushers in a new reality for the environment and how we care for creation. If we as Christians really believe and live that Jesus Christ is Lord, as we place him as Lord of our lives we can demonstrate to others our understanding and our role to care for and to steward our creation. People facing economic issues experienced an alternative reality in the early church when they sold their possessions and goods and gave to anyone as they had need. And as people announcing and demonstrating the good news of Jesus, what can we do? How can we speak about and demonstrate and steward our finances and possessions in a way that reflects our care for people and our ultimate trust that God will provide for us, that we actually can afford to be generous to others and to those in need. How can our church be a place of welcome and reconciliation and forgiveness in a time where loneliness, isolation, and family breakdown is increasing in our society and having increasingly negative impacts? And imagine those of us who are leaders in what, whatever place, whether it's in the workplace, politics, churches, wherever. What if those of us who are leaders don't grasp after power but empty ourselves for the sake of others? What a witness... To Jesus Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit and our witness is building towards. How we live our life as witnesses for Jesus Christ. And the good news is that the time has come and the kingdom of God is near. And this is in anticipation of the ultimate hope that we have in Christ. And the ultimate hope is the picture we see in Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Church, there will be healing, there will be restoration, tears will be wiped away. And people of every tribe, tongue, and nation will shout in praise Jesus Christ is Lord. This is our truth. This is our ultimate hope. So, as we begin this Jesus the Game Changer series, what we want to do is invite you to come on a journey with us to re Think reality. To change the way that you think about life in the light of the good news of Jesus Christ. For some of you, this will be an invitation to come and see and experience maybe something new. While for others, it will be a time of confirmation and authority to speak from what you know to be true. And as we speak the truth of Jesus, as we live the truth of Jesus, he assures us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to us. As we faithfully witness for him with the power of his Holy Spirit within us. Let's pray. Father God, at the beginning of this message, we prayed for your Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us as we heard your word. We now pray that we will be willing to go and be your witnesses to the truth of who you are and all that you have done. Thank you for the power and truth of your word and for the power, courage and leading we have through your Holy Spirit within us. We pray for your strength and courage as we witness for you. In Jesus' name and for his kingdom we pray. Amen.